Well, good morning and welcome, everyone. It is so good to see all of you here today. Uh, if you're new with us, um, my name is Pete. I have the absolute honor and privilege of serving as the lead pastor here. And on behalf of all of our staff and volunteers, let me just say we are so excited that you've decided to spend some of your Sunday morning here with us. And uh, we don't believe it's an accident that you're here today. Um, we have got a, a great message lined up for you. Before I talk at all about uh, what we're going to be diving into today, though, I just want to uh, address something like I have in previous weeks. For those of you uh, who may have young ones with you in the service here today, we are going to be talking about some uh, mature things, some adult content. We're going to be addressing the issue of purity in the context of marriage. And so for those of you who have parents or who are parents who have little ones in the service with you here today, I would just strongly encourage and recommend that you guys take advantage of the age-appropriate environments that we've got set up for you in our amazing Kids Life um, department. It's going to be, I promise you, they're, they're going to have a whole lot more fun back there uh, with their buddies learning about Jesus in an age-appropriate environment than they will in here hearing about adult things. And so while those of you who want to take advantage of that and head back uh, towards our kids' life area. I just want to start off today actually with a word of prayer. I feel like God needs to really help me communicate what he's laid on my heart today. So if you would join me in just bowing your heads. Lord, I've just sensed all week. First of all, I just want to say thank you for uh, visiting with us today, God, for being here, that your presence has been so powerful in our midst and God, I pray that as we open up your word, God, that our awareness of the nearness of your presence would only increase, that your anointing as we look at your word would increase, God, that you would open hearts and prepare hearts to receive what you have for us today. And God, as, as we talk about purity today, Lord, I just ask that you would help me to deliver what is on my heart, what you've laid on my heart and communicate it in a way that your people would, would hear and feel and see and know the purity of your heart and what you want for us as your church and what you want for our marriages, God. I just, I pray that you would do a work today. Lord, speak through me this morning, I, I ask. In Jesus' name, Lord, we just thank you for this time together. Amen. Now, if you are new with us, or if you're just joining us, if you've missed any of the previous weeks, as you heard Pastor Nate say, we are on the fourth and final week of a series called The Vow, where we're kind of trying to do a couple things. First, for those of you who aren't married but want to be married one day, we're trying to give you the tools that you need to, to build a marriage that is going to be strong and last the, the test of time and, and really honor God. We also want to speak directly into the marriages that are represented in this church to really, whether you're struggling or whether you're doing really well in your marriage, we want your marriages to become what God intended for it to become, which is a picture and a reflection of the, of the love, the selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love that God has for his bride the church, and that as we do that, you know, our marriages would become something that would be so attractive to the people around us that they would want what we have, and they would want to know the God that we serve that gives us the ability to lay down our lives for our spouses. And so for those of you that are in a season of singleness, whether you're widowed um, or whatever the case may be, I just want to encourage you once again that you take what you hear today and you first apply it to your relationship with God because he, he is our bridegroom. We're his bride. And also, you know, 
pack this, this wisdom away to share with your, your children, your grandchildren, those of, you know, that are in your life that are getting married because this is something that may not just be for you. It might be for those in your life as well. But we've been trying to take a look at several different vows over the course of the series um, that we exchange, not just on our wedding day, but that we live out through, throughout our lives. And so for the benefit of those of you who may have missed the earlier part of the series, we started out by talking about the vow of priority, which says this, God is our number one and our spouse is our number two. And so we said, I promise that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. And then in week two, we talked about the vow of pursuit. And we said this, I promise that I will always pursue my two. This is an ongoing act of pursuit. We're gonna to continue to work for what we already have. And then last week, we talked about the vow of partnership, that this isn't a contract, this is a covenant. And we said that I promise our marriage will be about we and not just me. And so today, we're going to look at the vow of priority. But before I give you that vow, I just wanted to start by asking you guys a couple of questions to get some audience participation, get you guys to engage a little bit. So whether you are married or not married, um, if you want to get married one day, how many of you, um, let's say, plan on committing adultery one day? Just raise your hands all across this place. Anybody plan on committing adultery? No? No? You want to get a little something-something on the side? Okay, no, no hands. Let me, let me just drop it down a notch a little bit. How many of you uh, plan on getting addicted to pornography? Anybody here uh, going to get addicted to pornography? No hands, really interesting. Okay, um, let me take it down one more notch. How many of you plan on having an emotional affair one day? You're not going to actually act on it, but you're going to give your heart away to someone who isn't your spouse. Just raise your hands. Nobody. Really interesting. Now, I... Obviously, I ask those questions in jest, and none of us would say that we plan on doing any of those things because none of us ever plan on ruining our marriages with sin, and yet the truth of the matter is it happens every single day, doesn't it? When we look around at our culture and our society today, we see that marriages are crumbling and falling apart for all different types of sin, and nobody starts out their marriages saying, I'm going to ruin my marriage with sin, but it happens all the time. And so for those of you who aren't married, understand this too. It's easy for you to sometimes, like I did before I was married, to say, you know what, I'll, I'll focus on, on purity once I'm married. It'll be easier once I'm married. But I, I need you to understand that you begin practicing purity in your marriage by how you live today. We practice purity by how you live today. You're building a foundation for your future marriage by how you live today. And what we all need to understand, whether you're single or married, is that you can't build a life or a marriage of righteousness on a foundation of sin. We cannot build a life or marriage of righteousness on a foundation of sin. And so the way we live today affects every area of our lives, especially our marriages. And so the vow of purity comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 24. And today we're going to add verse 25. So we've been looking at this one verse for all of the series, and we're going to look at it again today. It says this, this is why a man leaves his father and mother, that was week one, okay, the vow of priority, and is united to his wife, that was week two, okay, the vow of pursuit, and they become one flesh. That was last week, the vow of partnership, being in a covenant. Now verse 25 says this, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Woohoo! They were naked. You can laugh in church. Yes, we're talking about being naked and not ashamed. That word shame 
Uh, we've been looking at the original language for each of our vows, and that word shame in the Hebrew uh, is actually the root word bush, which means to be ashamed or to feel completely worthless. They were naked and they didn't have any sense of, oh, this is, this is funny or this is inappropriate or this is, this is dirty. We can't, you know, there was none of that. It was all innocent. But what happens, you know, is when sin enters the world, so does shame. And we feel all of a sudden unworthy, unloved. We feel dirty. We feel embarrassed. We feel like we need to kind of hide whenever sin and shame enters the picture but it says they were naked and they didn't feel any shame. It was totally innocent because sin hadn't yet entered the picture, which reminds me of like my boys. You know, I've got two children, two boys, Sammy, who is seven, about to turn eight, and Isaac, who is six. And from the moment they were born, even to this day, they love being naked. I don't know if that's a boy thing or if that's just our kids, but they love being naked. Uh, we were just looking at some pictures on our computer the other day that we found on an old drive of when the boys were really, really young. And uh, we found this one picture of Sammy, who must have been about 18 months old or so in the picture. And it was the middle of summer, and he's standing out in our backyard, naked as a jaybird, eating a popsicle. Loving life the way God made him, totally innocent, totally pure. And so, and that's what it says that, you know, Adam and Eve experienced. They were naked and felt no shame. But what happened? Well, if you know the story, you know, the serpent comes along, tempts them to sin and disobey God, and Eve gives in, and Adam's there, and he doesn't do anything to stop it. And the next thing you know, sin enters the world, and what happens next? What do they feel? They feel shame. They feel shame. They feel self-conscious all of a sudden. In fact, if you jump to the next chapter, it says in Genesis 3-7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They had to hide. And that's when Adam said, because somebody's got to wear the plants in this family. <laughs> yeah, I, I know it's a corny preacher joke. Just, just bear with me. Somebody's got to wear the plants in this family. And then verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man because they were hiding. He says, where are you? And Adam answers, verse 10, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so what did he do? And so he hid. He hid. You know, isn't this what happens even in our lives today from the moment we're even really young? You see your kid who's got chocolate all over his face, even though they weren't supposed to eat the chocolate. And you ask, did you eat chocolate? No. Right? They got to hide because they know that they did something wrong. And even younger still, like 18 months old, they're standing there in their diaper and you can tell they've got this stern look on their faces. They're working to try to get something out. And you're like, are you going poopies? No, as they back into a corner, right? And then th this just kind of carries over into our adult life where we feel like we've got to hide from the things that are wrong when we feel shame. Like, you go up to a friend who seems to be struggling and says, is there anything going on in your life? Are you okay? No, I'm fine. Hey, are you being tempted by anything? No. And we end up hiding because we feel shame. And here's what happens. We do something wrong and we feel shame. And what is shame? See, shame is Satan's tool of connecting the act with the identity. Right? That's what shame is. He, he uses it to connect the act with the identity. You did something bad. Satan says, therefore, you are bad. He connects the what 
with the who. And that's what shame does. It connects the act with the identity. And this affects us in our marriage too. And so we think, you know, I can't let you know what I did because I'm bad. I can't let you know what I'm struggling with because then you won't love me. I can't let you know what's happening in my life because then you won't trust me. And instead of enjoying the intimacy that truth and full disclosure brings, we end up hiding in secrecy so often in marriage. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. We need to understand that secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. And so this is going to be how we phrase the vow of purity this week. The vow of purity says, I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. Why don't we all say that together? I promise to confide in you and not hide from you because secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. In fact, the apostle Paul talks a lot about, you know, the role of darkness and light in the light of those who follow Jesus. He said this to some Christians in a city called Ephesus. He said, for you were once darkness, he wrote in Ephesians 5.8. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And for those of you who are Christ followers here today, before you accepted Jesus, you were in darkness. You were separated from God by your sin and you were in darkness. The problem is sometimes as, even as followers of Jesus, even though spiritually we may be forgiven, but practically we still step into sin from time to time, right? Spiritually, we've been made new. God no longer holds our sin against us because of the grace he has given us in Christ Jesus, but practically we step into darkness. Spiritually and positionally, we are right with God, but practically we sin. It's a little bit like when you go into a movie theater, right? You come out of a well-lit lobby into a super dark theater and you know, it takes a little bit for your eyes to adjust, right? You're like, you can't see it's so dark, but a few minutes go by and your eyes adjust and it's not so dark anymore, right? It's not so dark until what? Until you, the movie's over and you exit and you step into the sunlight and all of a sudden you're blinded by the sunlight, right? Now, if I could just gently say that Maybe there are some of you who are here today as, as followers of Jesus that have stepped back into darkness and you don't even realize you're in darkness now because your eyes have adjusted to it. You're living in a place where you don't even realize that you've stepped away from the light and back into the darkness and your eyes have adjusted to it. And sometimes in your marriage, this plays out. We, things aren't working and we don't understand why. And it's because we've, we've allowed ourselves to step back into the darkness and our eyes have adjusted to it. And that has become normal to us. And we don't realize that we're missing out on the light that he has called us to be in Christ. But look at what he says next. He says, for once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Then live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's what we want for our marriages. That's what we want for every area of our lives. And find out what pleases the Lord. Then Paul says this, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Don't hide them, expose them. Have nothing to do. Why? Because we don't heal in the dark. Shame grows in the dark. Sin keeps its power over us in the dark. Healing happens in the light. You can't heal what's hidden. Shame grows in the dark. 
You can't heal what's hidden. You know, just a few verses before this, Paul actually says that God's standards for us when it comes to purity in our lives is really high. He says this in verse three of the same chapter, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, not even a hint, nothing that even resembles it or of any kind of impurity. What is impurity? In essence, it's poison. What do you do with poison? Do you pick it up and you play with it and you know, try to do as much with it as you can without actually ingesting it? No, we stay as far away from it as we possibly can because it can kill you. We stay away from anything that displeases God, any kind of impurity because it poisons those that consume it. And yet that's the way we treat sin sometimes. And that's one of the big problems when it comes to our eyes adjusting to the darkness because we don't realize that we're walking in the darkness and so we don't know kind of where the sin line is. When it comes to purity in marriage, we think, you know, well, I'm not committing adultery, so I'm good, right? And so we've got this adultery line over here. And yet what we need to realize is that the sin line actually starts way back here. We think we're good as long as we're not committing adultery. But what we need to realize is that we're crossing a whole bunch of other sin lines on our way to just crossing one more. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 5 verse 27, when he said, you've heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. He's quoting the Old Testament here. He's quoting the law. But verse 28, but I tell you, so this is a new standard he is setting. This is the new covenant. Grace always holds us to a higher standard than the law. He says, but I tell you that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This seems like an impossibly high standard to live up to. Jesus is saying the line of sin isn't over here with adultery. And some of you think, you know what? As long as I'm not committing adultery, I'm fine. Yeah, but you're at the gym and you're gawking at that woman wearing tight yoga pants and you're lusting after her in your heart. I'm not committing adultery, so I'm good. I'm good. You might not be actively trying to have sex with that guy or that girl in your office, but you're fantasizing about it in your heart, in your mind, in your free time. You might not be physically committing adultery, but ladies, you're okay reading romance novels or watching Fifty Shades of Grey because it's good literature, it's a good movie. We don't realize where the sin line is because our eyes have adjusted to the darkness. You know, I used to work with some guys in the marketplace before I entered vocational ministry and guys that were married and their wives knew about it and it was a regular practice for them to go to the strip club and their wives were like, as long as you come home to me at night, I don't care what you do, you know? And so their rule was like, I can look, I just can't touch. I can look, I just can't touch. And we wonder why there are so many issues in our marriages and why marriages are struggling so much is because our eyes have adjusted to the darkness. We have no idea where the line is. You know, I've been very open and honest with you guys in the past about my past and about the things that I've struggled with, but I also recognize that the church has grown quite a bit in the last you know, several months, and some of you are newer to the church and you've not heard my story. And so those of you who have been around a while, what I'm about to share you know, may 
uh, be a little bit redundant for you, but for the sake of those who are newer to the church, I just kind of want to be really open and honest and vulnerable with you about where I've come from and the things that I've struggled with in the area of purity. You know, every time I, I share this, uh, I think it's going to get easier, but it never does. Um, this is embarrassing for me to talk about, but I've committed to being a vulnerable leader to for several reasons, because as I said, you know, sin and shame grows in the dark. It keeps its power in the dark, but when we expose it to the light, it loses its grip on us. But scripture also says that we overcome him, him being the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so every time I share my testimony, it reinforces the victory that I've accomplished in Jesus. And my hope and prayer is that it will give you the hope that what God has done for me, he can do for you as well. In 1990, I was 12 years old, living in Sacramento, California, when I was at a friend's house doing homework. And in the middle of our studies, he just turns to me. He was a Vietnamese kid. I think his name was Fo or something like that. He says, hey, Pete, I've got a Playboy magazine under my bed. And I said, shut up. No, you don't. And he goes, yeah, I do. And he went and grabbed it and pulled it out. And the decision I made in that moment to look upon the images in that magazine turned into a 20-year battle and addiction to pornography. Enslaved to sin. I can't tell you how many times I would be at the altar at church or at a youth conference begging and pleading God to take this from me, saying, Lord, I repent. I know this is wrong. I don't want to do this anymore. Please forgive me. And I'd walk away feeling like, yes, I've got victory over that. Only days or weeks later to go right back to it like a dog returns to its vomit. Time after time after time. Fast forward to 2005, 2006, Kelly enters the picture. And, you know, as we were dating, I was incredibly open with her about my past and everything that I had gone through. I didn't want there to be any secrets, you know, because secrets are the enemy of intimacy. And I wanted to make sure that we were laying a foundation of transparency and vulnerability. And so, you know, she knew that this was a big part of my past. And yet, I didn't tell her the full truth. And told her that I had dealt with it and that, you know, it was, it, was, it was done until several months before we got married, I think it was, maybe three months before we were married, we were at my apartment and she was looking some things up on the computer, um, I think preparing for the wedding, something like that. And as soon as she started to type into the, the browser, my search history came up. Web page popped up busted. I had nowhere to turn. Couldn't come up with any excuses. And justifiably so, she turned to me and said, you, you told me this, this was dealt with, this was done. We're getting married in three months. Are you sure you're ready to get married if you're, if you're lying to me this whole time? And with all the courage I could muster, I just looked at her straight in the eye with tears streaming down my face. And I said, baby, you've got no reason to trust me, but I'm asking you to believe that I'm gonna do whatever I have to do as a man of God to get this sin dealt with and out of my life once and for all. And even though she was hurt and angry, she loved me 
And she trusted me. And she said, okay, I believe you. And we continued planning for and preparing for our wedding, which we did. See, we've got to recognize where the sin line is, guys. You can't build a marriage of righteousness on a foundation of sin. And then once you realize where the sin line is, then we've got to avoid it at all costs. See, Jesus was really severe on this topic when he taught on it. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, obviously he wasn't being literal with that. Otherwise we'd have a bunch of one-armed cyclopses walking around. But his, his metaphor was meant to be serious. In other words, like anything that is getting in the way of your righteousness, of your right standing with God and with men, you need to rid yourself of it. Get rid of it at all costs. You don't flirt with it. We don't get close to it. We don't play with it. We don't joke around about it. It's poisonous. It will consume you and it will kill you. It's not okay. It's not cute. We stay away from it as much as we can which is why in our marriage, we've determined that we're not gonna have any secrets. My life is an open book with this woman sitting on the front row. My computer, every mouse click I make, every web page I visit, she's gonna know about. Every password I have, she's got full access to every device I have, my phone. She can look at anything at any time. There are no limits to what she can look at when it comes to my devices. She has all my passwords. I'm not, the other thing, I'm not gonna travel alone. This is one of the other safeguards we've put in place. I will never be alone with another woman who is not family because I don't want secrets in my life. I don't want secrets in our marriage. I'm not gonna put myself in a compromising situation. I don't wanna get anywhere close to any kind of line because I wanna honor God first and foremost and I'm married to my best friend my covenant partner, the mother of my two children, and I want to honor her with everything that I have. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. And so how do we live this out? How do we live pure and have pure marriages in an extremely impure world when there's so much impurity coming at us all day, every day? We're bombarded by impure images all the time. How do we live this out? You know, King David asked the same question when he wrote in Psalm 119, verse nine, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? It's a question we've been asking for thousands of years. How do we stay pure? He answers his own question when he goes on to say, by living according to your word. He said, God, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Then he says this in verse 11, I love this. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do we live a life of purity? By living according to God's word. How do we live according to God's word? We've got to know his word. His word isn't something that we hear just once a week when we come to church on Sundays. His word is daily bread that we've got to feed on because it nourishes us, it strengthens us. His word is sharp and active and more powerful than any double-edged sword. His word transforms our hearts. It renews our minds. We live according to his word. Listen, if you don't want to hide in shame, you've got to hide his word in your heart. 
If you don't want to hide in shame, we've got to hide his word in our hearts. And then as our hearts conform to his, when we look into the mirror of God's word, and as our hearts conform to his, it's no longer, oh, I have to stay pure. I really want to look at that, but I've got to stay pure, so I've got to stay away from that. To all of a sudden now, it's I want to stay pure because I've tasted of the blessings that come from doing life the way he wants me to do it. And once I've tasted of the blessings of righteousness and of full disclosure and openness and marriage, why would I ever settle for a cheap substitute on that side of the line? Because I've tasted and it's so much better. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy, which again, which is why in our marriage we have just determined that we're not gonna have any secrets. And so just like in previous weeks where Kelly has come up and shared, I've asked her one more time as we close this series out to join me on the stage. So guys, would you welcome my wife Kelly to the stage with me today? Hi. Hi guys. So I know that um, we're gonna keep sharing here in a minute, but I just wanted to just say something. Um, obviously the things that Pete are sharing are uh, difficult for him. I just want you to know that there is no part of me that is embarrassed nor ashamed of anything that this man is sharing. And I'm not embarrassed nor ashamed of anything we've been through. And I hope that today as we share and um, minister here a little bit, that you're able to see what God is able to do when we're honest, when we take an honest look at our lives and our marriages and our hearts before God. So I just want you to know, this is, go ahead. Um, I love the fact that there is a story to tell that can showcase God's mercy and his redemption. Amen. And there's a part of me, like, on this side of everything that we have walked through. And some of you have actually had more difficult stories and situations that you've walked through than what we're about to share. But for us, um, seeing the fruit of what God has done through all of this actually gives me hope that no matter what else comes our way, I'm like, Lord, I know you can use it all for good. So as we continue to share, I just want to encourage you just to keep your hearts open um, and uh, ready to receive. So um, thank you for letting me talk again. I love getting to sit here. I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna do next week when he's just like, I'm gonna get up here and preach and you can't come up. I might just like <laughs> peek out from behind and be like, hey. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna just add something. Um, so Pete shared the beginning part of our story, um, you know, that how uh, when we were engaged, I found some stuff on the computer and that was really hard. So we'd gotten married and... Um, those early years of our marriage, um, I asked him a lot about just how he was doing. And I was like new to all this. Even the fact that he had struggled with pornography was like, what? Because I was a little bit sheltered growing up and I just assumed that Christian men didn't do that. So I was like, that's just like a non-issue. And then I learned, especially the more that I realized the struggle that my husband had faced, that it actually wasn't as uncommon as I thought. I was just sheltered. And so my compassion did grow in it. And I asked him quite a bit, like, are you okay? Are you struggling? Are you struggling? And like, I was trying to put words to like this fear that I had deep down that there was something going on that I wasn't going to be able to reach or to be able to help. So, um, 
I was about a year and a half or so into our marriage um, where I was at a worship rehearsal one night uh, here at Life Church, and um, I came home. And uh, when I got home, he had planned a really nice evening for me at home. And I was like, oh, this is so sweet. And so um, we'd spent some time together. And it was at the end of that evening that he said to me, um, I have something that I need to tell you. And my heart just sank. I was like, uh-oh. So I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, see, you know, again, when you're in darkness, you don't know where the sin line is, and it keeps moving. And I realized that what used to be done in the privacy of my own home was no longer enough. I started looking at it at work, using my work laptop to peruse stuff that I shouldn't be looking at. And I had this epiphany, if you will, this realization that, man, I've got a problem. I can't control when and where and how often I'm looking at it anymore. And so I knew that I needed to get help. And so, like she said, it was about a year and a half into our marriage, and there was a guy at our church who was still a member of this church, share his testimony or a part of it, at church, and I went up to him after the service, and I said, hey, bro, I, I need to talk to you privately, one-on-one, -on -one. and we met, and I shared with him the struggle I was having, and I told him I need, I need accountability in my life. I don't, it's been 20 years. I've never been able to gain victory over this, and I need help, and I want to know if you'll hold me accountable and help me figure out how do I rid myself of this. And so he invited me to join a small group of men that were meeting every Saturday morning. And the men that were in that group that began my journey of what would eventually be victory are still in this room today. And so if you're struggling in an area of impurity, I, I just wanna encourage you and implore you to get the help that you need to get some accountability in your life. But being a part of that group, the, the leader kind of came to me shortly after I started attending and he came to me and he said, Pete, you know, I love the progress you're making and this is a step, but there's another step that you've got to take. If you really want to experience intimacy in your marriage, and I'm not just talking physically, I'm talking emotionally and spiritually as well, there can't be any secrets in your marriage. You're going to have to confide in and confess to your spouse, to Kelly, that what you told her a year and a half ago was gone is not gone and that you're still struggling with it. And I said, bro, I can't do that. She's going to kill me. She's asked me a hundred times in the last year and a half, like, are you doing okay? Are you struggling? How's your thought life? And every time I've told her, I'm good, I'm good. I've been lying to her for a year and a half. And he's like, I'm just telling you, I'm not forcing you to do it, but it's your choice. You can come this far in your healing, or if you want to go all the way, I believe one of the steps is to have full disclosure and let her know what's been happening in your life. And so that, was one of, if not the hardest decisions I've ever had to make in my life when I came to terms with the fact that I was gonna have to face her and tell her what she just described to you. I tried to kind of butter her up, if you will, by planning a romantic evening together to prepare and soften her heart for the news that, what I, that I, I knew would crush her. And that's, that's really what, went down that night, isn't it? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and you know, we were trying to remember last night, like, what was my response when he told me? And I can't remember the specific words I said. I can't remember if I said anything hurtful. And if I did say something hurtful, I'm super uh, grateful to God that he doesn't remember it, and nor do I. But I do remember being angry. Like, I remember the tears. I remember the burning anger. Um, and for those of you that are here today that might feel like you have secrets, I do want to let you know that things might get a little bit worse before they get better because you've got to get through the pain of even like a confession or confiding. Um, you've got to get through the pain of that to be able to reach the healing in it. So um, you can get through it and it might get a little bit worse before it gets better. Yeah, because really what, what I did in, in realizing that I needed help, I couldn't do this on my own, is... I kind of walked through this process and I would encourage you to do the same and I still do this on a regular basis is I, I visualize what will happen and what is at stake, what I could lose if I allow myself to cross those sin lines. And like for me right now today, if I were to allow myself to go back into a lifestyle of secrecy and hiddenness, um, there's a lot I could lose. And first and foremost, I'd have to kind of acknowledge the fact that I would break the heart of God and drag the name of Christ through the mud. One day I am going to stand before God just like all of us will, and I'm going to have to give an account for everything I've done with my life outside of his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then after that, I'd have to face this woman who has sacrificed more than you can possibly imagine to stand by my side to do what God has called us to do and I'd have to confess to her by an act of my own selfishness, realize that I would inflict untold hurt on her. And then I'd have to face my two boys. And I'd have to tell them, I'm sorry, guys, but you're, your daddy's not who he said he was. These boys that look up to me as a man of God and in some ways want to be like me one day, I'd lose that. I'd lose my reputation, something that I've worked very hard to build. I could lose my ministry. So I want to encourage you, what would that look like for you? If you were to visualize yourself crossing those lines, and what you could lose, what would that be? You might not be in ministry, but you're going to lose something if you don't bring it out into the light. And there are those of you who are here today, I believe with all my heart, there are some of you who are walking dangerously close to that line. You are very close to losing everything, to losing your family. And worst case scenario, even if there is adultery, even though adultery is grounds for divorce, it's also grounds for forgiveness. We serve a God who is a God of second chances, a God of grace. And if you're stepping into any form of darkness right now, what I want to encourage all of you to do is to bring it out of the darkness and into the light. Bring it into the light. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible that talks about this is Proverbs 28, 13. And it says this, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. Whoever hides their sin doesn't prosper. You don't heal in the dark. 
You can't heal what's hidden, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So what do we do? We confess our sins to God first, and we confess our sins to people, to our spouses. We confess our sins to God for forgiveness. We confess our sins to people for healing. Romans says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But James says that we confess our sins one to another and pray for each other so that we can be healed. Confess to God for forgiveness. Confess to each other for healing. And there are some of you who are here today, you're not married, but you know you've crossed some lines and it's time that you bring that out into the light and you find somebody who loves you, who you love and who you can trust and you say, I need help. Will you hold me accountable? I need help. Bring it out into the light. I've stepped into darkness. Some of you who are here today that are married, can I just say it's time to stop hiding? It's time to stop hiding. You don't heal in the dark. Secrets are the enemy of intimacy. And so if you could muster up the courage to come to your spouse and confide in them and confess to them and ask them to join you in fighting for your marriage, not fighting in your marriage anymore, but fighting for your marriage. Because I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. You know, the night that Pete um, told me that he had been lying to me for that year and a half and that he was really struggling, after I got past the initial shock and the anger that I felt, I remember crying and asking him, okay, so now what? Because, like, this is your sin and I want to be respectful of you, but it really affects me and now I have this thing that I don't know what to do with. And he, ahead of time, had talked to the friend that was encouraging him to come to me. And he said, you know, I've already talked to him and he and his wife are available. You can actually call her right now. They knew that this was happening tonight and you can call her anytime and you can tell her anything, you can talk to her. So what I wanna encourage you, you know, our prayer today is that this would move you to a place of wholeness in your marriage, that you would be able to um, bring these things out into the light, the things that are hard, and think about who is somebody in your life. Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe it's a trusted friend. Maybe it's a pastor. Whoever it is, somebody that you know the two of you can go to where it's a safe place and you can talk things out and where you can have some godly counsel because that was huge. Um, in the days to follow, Pete really um, diligently assured me of some of the safeguards that were going to be in place. He spoke of some of them earlier, the passwords and me being able to have access to his phone and all that. Um, some of the other things, he, I see my husband when we're watching TV. If an image comes on the television that could even make his mind go somewhere, I see him look away. And now my boys see him look away. And so my boys now, I am watching them model what their father does. And I can't tell you how proud I am of the fact that he is taking the measures even on a daily basis. And it's not to say that we're perfect because we are not. Actually, there are some times that when I see him look away, it's a reminder of the fact that we're not immune from falling. And so there's a part of me that it's very sobering. I'm like... You're right. And um, 
I've, I've just seen the strides that he's taken. So I want to encourage you. There's like a practical part to this, and there's a spiritual part. We have to take action, too. You know, it was um, a couple of short years later after Pete had confessed to me. At this point, we had children. Um, uh, both the boys had been born. I was a photographer, and I mostly um, photographed weddings. So I was on a wedding, and it was like... Um, it wasn't someone that I knew. It was a client. And so the people that were there didn't share my same worldviews. So there's a lot of drinking. There's a lot of drunk people that were there. Um, and I had kind of become acclimated to that environment because it was my job. And I was eating dinner, and the bride had told me, oh, I just wanted to let you know that there's this guy here tonight, and he um, he does photography. And I thought maybe uh, it would be like a fun person for you to sit with. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. So we're at dinner, and this gentleman was very kind to me and he didn't do anything inappropriate but I could tell that like he was expressing like a level of interest and I had rings on and so I was like I'm married I can't believe this guy is being so like overtly kind it was and I felt a little weird at first but then I was like it's kind of making me feel good like this guy is like showing me this attention and there was this part of me that I identified very quickly throughout the course of the evening I was like we have common interests he's being really kind to me and I realized that evening and Pete wasn't with me he was at home I had to finish out my night working and he was this man was everywhere that I was because he was kind of watching what I was doing and I enjoyed the attention I was receiving from another man and this might sound like a small thing to some of you but when I got in the car that day from that wedding, I left and I started sobbing when I got in my car. I called my best friend and I said, Sarah, I said, I'm going to sound crazy to you right now, but I am like scared right now because I was just at this wedding and this guy was showing me attention and I really liked it. And for the first time in my marriage, I feel that I can be prone to wander. And actually the words of that old hymn, um, came to my mind, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And I remember telling her on the phone, I was like, Sarah, I can't believe I just experienced that because I am crazy about my husband. I know I said it last week and I'll say it again this week. My heart has never been so fully satisfied. I am crazy about this man, and I have been since the day we got married. And so the fact that I could feel this sense that like I could wander scared me. So I got home, and when I got home, Pete could tell that I had been crying. And he was like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm okay, but I just, I need to talk to you about something. And um, I told him what had happened, and I said to him, I'm like, I want you to know that I will not let even this little thing, I'm like, I know it might sound so little, but like, I know don't want to let one little thing fester in my heart and be hidden that I could tuck away that could ever take any bit of my commitment away from you because the only person that I want to receive that kind of satisfaction from that attention from is you and he was incredible and I was like sobbing and he held me and I know that because of course in our you know past we've had this big confession that he had had and I said to him I'm like what are you thinking you're being so quiet and he said to me he was like Kelly it feels so good to be able to be gracious to you right now because you've extended grace to me and now I'm getting to do that for you. And guys, what I want to encourage you with is Ephesians 4.32. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And so 
we have this opportunity to forgive one another. And the goal here is to keep the sin line close. We don't, I don't, I don't want to get to the point where I have, you know, ignored this like little indulgence here and this little indulgence there. Ladies, it's really easy for us to be quiet about our sinful tendencies in the area of purity. It's really easy for us to fantasize about things. It's really easy for us to watch a show and all of a sudden we've got things going on in our heads. You know, Pete referenced Fifty Shades of Grey earlier. Let me just tell you, church, if you are receiving pleasure from somebody else's pleasure, it is sin. God did not design us, did not design marriage to be the way. Purity involves in the marriage the husband and the wife, and it involves nobody else, not on a screen, not in a book, not in your head, nowhere. And so let's keep our sin line in close here. Um, If you're not married, I know Pete mentioned it earlier, practice purity now, because ultimately, you guys, our purity and issues with purity affect our relationships. But really what it is, is it's a thing between God and I first. This is when there is a, a purity issue, that sin affects God and I, and it manifests in our relationships. So when you're single and you're not married, develop good disciplines and good habits. Now, men, look away from the screen when women who aren't wearing enough clothes come on the screen. Ladies, turn away from the TV when you see something that you desire and you want to play it back and rehearse it in your head. Turn away from it. Put away the romance novels. And it's not because we're being prudes. and It's, not, it's because we're wanting to keep the sin line close. Because the little, the little steps that we take before we know it, we get so far out and we look back and we're like, how did I get here? How did I get here? And when we can keep it close and we continually confess, it's a constant, um, a constant conversation. In our house, it is a constant conversation. Sometimes, honestly, I, I said it earlier, I can sometimes be a little bit too much with it where he'll be like, can you just like let me breathe? Like I told you, I'm doing great. And I'm like, you are? Okay. And like there, but it's always in front of me to just know that none of us are above falling, guys. Pete and I aren't above falling. None of you are. We're all in the same battle together, but we've got to have the right disciplines in place to be able to walk this out the right way. Yeah. And I just, I wanted to give you guys somewhat of a practical uh, resource, something that really helped me and I want to share with you um, if this is an issue that you struggle with. Uh, There are a lot of books on the topic and a lot of them are great, but one of the best ones I've read on it is the book Finally Free by Heath Lambert. Fighting for Purity with the Power of Grace is the subtitle. Um, It is, in my estimation, the best book I've read that that marries the spiritual aspect of it with the practical aspect of it. And it gives you seven practical tools to really build some things into your life that will help you gain victory over this. And so I wanted to show you that so that those of you who need help can get help with this in addition to getting accountability into your lives. But I just want to say this as we get ready to close. Yes, it will be hard. I know right now that there is a battle going on in some of your minds that some of you are arguing with yourself on whether or not you're going to confide in your spouse with some of the things that you have been battling with and dealing with. Yes, it will be hard. That was the hardest conversation I've ever had with anyone. But it is so worth it. It is so worth it. You can have this measure of intimacy or you can have this much. 
It's your choice. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. And if you want to enjoy the fullness of God's blessings for intimacy in your marriage, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, then you will take the vow of purity and confide in your spouse and not hide from them. It's worth it, guys. It's worth it. Some of you are saying, I could never do that. She'll leave me. She'll get mad at me. Yeah, she might get mad at you, and rightfully so. Give her the space to process. But if I can do it, so can you. The question is, will you have the courage to take that step? So I just want to kind of wrap this up and kind of recap what we've learned throughout this series. Number one, God is our one and our spouses are two. We're going to promise to prioritize God that I will always keep God as my first priority and my spouse will be my second. Number two, Christ is pursuing us and so we're going to continue to pursue our spouse. We will work for the one that we already have. I will always pursue my two. Then the vow of partnership, we didn't enter into some kind of contract. This is a holy covenant before a holy God. Our marriage will always be about we and not me. It's my honor to lay down my life for my bride with everything I have. And then lastly, I promise to confide in you and not hide from you because whoever conceals sin doesn't prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces finds healing and mercy. If you want what few people have, you gotta be willing to do what few people will do. God's given us a blueprint for marriage that if we will live by these principles, if we will put these vows into practice in our everyday life, then you can experience the abundance and the fullness and the freedom that comes with being fully known and not having to protect and hide and, and not allow that person into the dark corners and recesses of your heart. It's so worth it. And I hope that you'll take the step to confide and not hide. Let's pray for them. God, we thank you so much Jesus. for the, the healing and the wholeness that you offer. God, I thank you that there is no sin too big that you can't forgive and that there's no situation too serious that you can't heal it. And so, God, I just want to pray right now for the spouses that might have a spouse coming to them this week, confessing something and confiding in them. God, I pray for a measure of grace for those spouses today that are going to be receiving a confession, that, God, you would give them the eyes that you see them with, God, that they would see their spouse like you see them, and that, God, in this act of confession and confiding, God, that there would be um, a bonding that happens, and that, God, you would bring the needed healing and strategy and grace to be able to, to uh, have there be victory in those areas. Yes, Lord. God, we're so grateful to serve a God that heals and that can make beauty from our messes. Mm. And so, God, I pray that there would be beautiful, beautiful masterpieces that are made out of the marriages here today. Yes, Lord. God, I pray that you would give husbands and wives the strength and the courage to be completely open, honest, and transparent with their spouses. 
God, I thank you today for the beginning works of healing that you're going to do and marriages here today. And Lord, I just pray for those who are single here today, God, that are wanting and hoping to be married one day. Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength and the power they need to practice purity now while they lay a foundation for their future relationships. God, I pray that you would convict them and that you would empower them to get the help they need, God, if they've crossed some lines. Lord, I pray, I thank you for our life groups. God, I pray that they would be places of safety, Lord, where we can confess our sins one to another and ask, you know, our fellow group members to pray for us because I'm struggling in this area. Lord, would they be places of, of life and accountability and care as together we seek to follow you the best way we know how. And Lord, I, I just have felt all week that today, God, you wanted to heal marriages. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would right now speak to hearts and help people make up their minds in this moment that they're not gonna wait till next week, that they're gonna go home and confide in their spouse and that you're gonna give their spouse the grace to receive that confession with grace and with forgiveness because we've been forgiven by so, of so much by you. Lord, heal marriages today, I pray. Strengthen our marriages. May they be something, God, that shows the world around us, that shows the people in our lives what unconditional love looks like. May it become something that is so attractive and so appealing, God, that people will literally come to us and ask us, how do you have such a great marriage? Lord, and it would open up the door for us to tell people about your amazing love. God, we thank you for it. We receive your grace. We receive your power. We thank you, God, for second chances. We thank you that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. We just bind and rebuke shame off of people right now in the name of Jesus and pray that there would be complete and total healing and freedom when that confession comes, God. God, we thank you for it. We re receive it right now in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Church, were you encouraged today? Thank you, Kelly. We really hope that you feel empowered and equipped with some tools to live out in your marriages, whether you're married now or you hope to be married one day. If you're past the season of marriage, you've got some things to process to be able to share with others to impact the next generation. Just want to remind you before I dismiss you, if you're newer to the church, we want to invite you to join us in the Connection Center right after we dismiss here to just hang out with us, get to know us a little bit. We want to get to know you. We've got some refreshments back there. Church, I love you so much. The best is really yet to come. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday. God bless.